0: How are you, Ash? Yes, I'm good. Should should I say hello, Ash? Because that's what we say, isn't it? It is. And then say, how are you? Yeah, do that. Hello, Ash. Hello, Ian. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. My legs are sore. I ran the Manchester Marathon on uh, Sunday. Oh, wow. So I'm just starting to recover. Uh, A marathon. Yeah, I was really pleased. A marathon is hard. The marathon is hard. I did it in three (laughs) hours, 17 minutes and 46 seconds. That is, which is a new personal best.
0: It takes me about that long to do a half marathon, so I'm, I'm very impressed.
1: Well, the race is only with yourself, <laughs> and it literally is. There's always someone faster than you. Well, apart from if you're the fastest person on earth, but eventually there'll be someone faster than them as well.
0: <laughs> Why are we getting faster and faster? How are we doing that?
1: Uh, well, there's these. So, so Nike came out with a, like a, a brand of shoes, which apparently like squeeze like an extra second per kilometre out of your time or something like that um <laughs> so i don't know if it's if it's technology based training based probably a combination of things and plus those trainers are like 250 pounds and i'm not spending that
0: that's far too heavy for a pair of shoes yeah yeah absolutely you see what i did there
1: absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> i do i do put that canned yeah. laughter in yeah yeah
0: hang on a second i can do this <laughs> wait wait, i've got this let me just say that again that's far too heavy for a pair of shoes
1: (laughs) that laughter goes on for far too long as well doesn't it that was immensely awkward yeah (laughs) yes yes (laughs) <laughs> <And> possibly,
0: <laughs> while I thought my joke there deserved a small amount of laughter, I don't think it deserved the like three quarters of an hour of laughter that we just heard.
1: And how are you doing, Ian? Are you okay?
0: I'm doing fine. I've had some drama, but uh, I've, I've come out the other end of it. I, I've just recently moved to a new office in Ilkley, and I bought a whiteboard. And in fact, I got very, very excited. Some might say too excited, especially were they to hear how much I spent on it. Because I thought a whiteboard, a board of whiteboards, I need a glass board. And so I ordered a glass board and I looked at the wall in my office. Actually, I didn't. I looked at some measurements because it was before I moved into the office. I looked at the wall and thought, oh, I could have this 2.4 meters times 1.2 meters whiteboard because it can fit on this wall. And the sad learning. I've had is that actually you need to measure your, whether your whiteboard can fit in the stairwell mm. because if it can't, it will never get as far as the wall yeah. and then you will have to send it back in an embarrassed tone of voice and have to face people ridiculing you because that's really basic and you didn't think of it. Uh, hypothetically.
1: Hypothetically speaking. But it's good to be excited though, isn't it, about such purchases? And it that is. would have been a pretty exciting whiteboard, to be fair.
0: Uh, I was very excited briefly
1: mm.
0: in the period between ordering it and it's arriving I was very excited and then I was just horrified
1: Ah, uh, that golden time I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah look back yeah. to those
0: halcyon days of when I was excited before I was horrified
1: yeah I think I think that period happens often doesn't it with an online purchase it does the bit between the order and the arrival <laughs> um feels feels great but then uh the the terrible reality of uh of the size of your staircase kicks in
0: yeah, I, I also had ordered a, some chairs and a table in case I ever have a meeting in my new office. That excitement period between ordering it and it arriving was greatly marred by the whiteboard incident because it called into question all purchases. Will it be able to come up the stairs? And then the the people with the furniture arrived and they just carried it up the stairs themselves. And I didn't even have to do anything. And I was so pathetically overjoyed. It was wonderful.
1: Did you look at them with tears in your eyes? Thank you so much. And they're like, Yeah, you're all right.
0: Almost, yes. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was deeply emotionally moved. And if you want to come visit my office and sit at a table and have a meeting, I can do that. We could even record what a lot of things in my office now. Uh, yeah. Although I might need to get a giant pile of cushions or something to absorb the echo i'm hoping you can't hear the echo you definitely can't when i'm not talking
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's because there are no sounds to hear
0: yeah if there's no sound then there's no sound echo
1: (laughs) so have we got any news from the last episode Uh,
0: why do i feel like Uh, we have but i've forgotten it
1: we do i i i could remember it
0: why don't you specify it then specify it oh this isn't working oh my goodness (laughs)
1: I could why don't you do of us talk about it? Why don't you tell us the news, Ash? <laughs> so Ian committed one of oh. uh, software developments, uh, Cardinal sins. No wonder I've forgotten this. And I think last time we we talked about this, I described the what a lot of things podcast as a vehicle for Ian's perfectionism and rightness. And just mockery. Both of which I've I've been proved uh, to be incorrect about. <laughs> so ian described the rfc for smtp as uh 822 as
0: being from the 80s as
1: being from the 80s yes that's it
0: and that was right it was right
1: rightness is there <laughs> now comes the perfectionism and rightness no. No. so ian was right about rfc 822 being from the 80s but he was wrong about the subject of rfc 822 it wasn't smtp it was close. It was headers inside email messages. It was close, to be fair. It was about email. SMTP is RFC 821. So Ian committed the cardinal sin of the off by one error. I did. Which Sorry, he's everybody. been in technology long enough to know that these things happen.
0: <laughs> yes. Sorry, perfectionism. And rightness. It's when you find these things out after you you publish the episode and then you are filled with an enormous desire to Maybe sit down and record yourself saying it slightly differently and then dob it over <laughs> so that your error can be erased.
1: I suppose that is the price of perfectionism, isn't it?
0: It's a heavy price.
1: Hmm. So, despite Ian's transgressions, <laughs> for reasons to do with my own vanity,
0: They're not transgressions,
1: not- <laughs> I've opened up the podcast app
0: <laughs> on <laughs> honest mistakes on-,
1: on my Mac and navigate honest mistakes (laughs) (laughs) failures um (laughs) blame free blame free
0: podcast (laughs) this has to be this is a blame free podcast so i (laughs) I, honest mistakes i'm gonna gonna stick to that
1: that's my story and i'm sticking to it. yeah
0: yeah that's exactly so
1: (laughs) (laughs) so despite ian's honest mistakes uh, i opened up the podcast app on my mac the other day uh, for reasons of uh, looking at the things that I have created just to make myself feel better. Uh, <laughs> and one of those things is the What A Lot Of Things podcast.
0: Who, who among us have not done that?
1: Yeah, uh, Exactly. And I saw that on the uh, Apple podcast app, we have five five-star ratings. 25 stars! 25 whole stars given to us by completely impartial ob- listeners to the podcast isn't that right here
0: yes um <laughs> there's only two of us so it can't, <laughs> it can't be that bad <laughs> are you telling me you've never rated our podcast no you don't think it's good enough
1: i'm far too honest for that i, I don't think you should mark your own work I, i'm a tester <laughs> right i can't mark my own work
0: uh, i've marked our work and i've found it to be very favorable <laughs> on the apple podcast app
1: so we have four five star ratings <laughs> From impartial listeners. (laughs) one from me. And one from Ian. But still, four or five star ratings is pretty good.
0: I would say it's fantastic. It makes me feel very happy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was pleased that I went and looked at my own creations and, and then noted that other people had appreciated something that we had created. So thank you.
0: Thank you, yes. For those of you who haven't rated us yet, If you go and do so, I'm sure that we will experience equal levels of joy over whatever writings you give us that are above three stars.
1: That must be specifically that.
0: Although I'll forgive you if you only give us four stars because anyone can commit an off by one error.
1: (laughs) Cue the canned laughter. (laughs) I really can't. No, no, let's not do it again. Let's not do (laughs) it again. We haven't got that
0: kind of time, Ash.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It felt like it would never end. Yes, it
0: did. In fact, I'm almost surprised to find it's ended now.
1: So, so shall we talk about some things?
0: After that harrowing conversation, I feel like we should talk about some things. I think it must be your turn to go first. Yes. In our egalitarian system of going firstness.
1: Which is absolutely correct, uh, 50% of the time. <laughs> Every time.
0: Exactly. <laughs> But which 50%? <laughs> we'll leave that shrouded in mystery. Mm, yeah, let's. So, my thing. What's your thing, Ash?
1: My thing is it's about a bunch of testers, well, they call themselves QA, taking on toxic culture at a very large game development company Activision, Blizzard, pretty much one of the biggest that you could even imagine.
0: Uh, now it's owned by Microsoft, it's even bigger.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of articles recently about uh, the culture within some of these companies. So with sexism, racism, classism, and pretty much every prejudice you could name on show.
0: Fantastic. Well done, gaming.
1: I was interested to see that there was like a group of brave souls who are ready to challenge it. And I was even more interested to see that it's only the testers again, isn't it? (laughs) Gathering themselves together, working together to solve problems so i'll just tell i'll just tell a little bit of the story this company called raven qa and they worked on i think they were working on call of duty and they'd engaged a bunch of contractors to help with the with the testing slash quality assurance let's not go there for (laughs) the latest call of duty releases and what happened was so activision had said right we're about to get everybody back into the office to start working together again after covid so raven qa a bunch of contractors they had, then relocated. So this is, bear in mind, this is temporary workers, relocated Mm -hmm. to near wherever the office was. And then the parent company then said, fully story, we don't need you anymore. So goodbye. No. So they moved halfway
0: across the United States or something and then got laid off straight away.
1: Yeah. So some of the permanent workers within Raven QA then walked out in protest at, at this treatment of contractors. And then... Subsequently, since then, they've started to uh, organize themselves into a position where they could, you know, obviously take on their their parent companies, quite complex entities, some of these game development companies, and, you know, try and get some better conditions for them. So I think testers in the the game development industry, I've always felt like a pang of pity sometimes towards them. I know Mm. that sounds... I don't like to feel pity, but working like 18-hour days during crunch times and very poorly paid and considered a very basic entry-level job um, where everybody wants to get out and become a game developer you know themselves or a producer or whatever it is that they want and everybody just starts mm. in testing to move on. So I'm not saying it's the same everywhere, but they always seem to be at the sharp end of game development. And it was just great to see a bunch of testers taking on a toxic culture and making a difference. So that's my thing.
0: I really love that. I mean, one thing I've always admired about the community of testers is the way in which it is such a great community. Mm. You see that a lot. You and I first met at a testers community meetup, didn't we? Oh, yeah. In Liverpool, the uh, infamous, well, no, the famous Liverpool tester <laughs> gathering. Yeah. Which we've both spoken at different times. But I was always very impressed with the community that testers build around themselves. And that's always has a different feel to it than maybe other parts of the tech industry. Mm. So in some way, it doesn't surprise me to hear this story. Mm. Also, it doesn't surprise me to hear that it was necessary. It seems tremendously unfair to get people to move tremendous distances and uproot their lives and then suddenly make them redundant or get rid of them yeah but that sense of community that i've always noted around testing and testers that doesn't in that way it doesn't surprise me that they're the ones who are standing up mm.
1: yeah yeah there's very few places that i've i've worked as a tester where there there hasn't been some kind of desire to organize together into a community and share like what you've been working on mm. it's, it's really common and I often i've spoken to colleagues as as who are developers or operations people and they often say, Wow, that's really cool that you kinda of get together every now and then and show each other like what you're working on or actively work together. And also I think sometimes you go to development and ops type conferences, the really big ones, and they're so vast impersonal, lots of tool vendors, lots of money involved. <laughs> Whereas testing conferences, for example, by their nature, are a lot smaller. I find them a lot more community focused because you know, there's not, like I say, vast amounts of tool vendors or money at stake. So they tend to be more about their craft itself. So I think it just kind of leans towards that. Obviously that's in my experience, if you like. Mm. I'm sure there'll be conferences that I don't go to, which, which may focus more on that. But it just doesn't surprise me to see them, whenever I go into a company, that they're already sharing their work together. So I guess it's when a number of them are affected in such, a, such an unjust way. Because that's the thing. It's, like a, it's about contractually. It was probably within the letter of the contract what they did, the parent company, to these contractors at Raven QA. Yeah. Because they, they know that they're contractors. But there's something beyond that as well, isn't there? It's like, well, is that a, a right thing to do? Is that a just thing to do? And These are the things I think that when you see people start to organise themselves together into into a collective where it's like well actually yes it was contractually fine it's like the the classic big technically right isn't it it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. you could be technically right but you know it's the worst kind of right isn't it you know yeah so, so yeah i, I think it's, it's it's times like that where which does trigger people to to get together and think well together we can do something about this rather than it just being you know uh individuals are within the current system trying to solve that problem because you know that the system of contractors and disposable workers and disposability of skilled professionals that is part of the problem isn't it when it's used to such a vast degree
0: but ultimately it's about the balance of power between workers and employers Hmm. and it's one of those sort of things where you know trade unions and certainly in the uk sort of came about from victorian capitalism where Children were cleaning chimneys, and workers had no rights, and you know were regularly killed in very unsafe environments, and things like that. Yeah. And that led to sort of trade unions coming along, and then there was a lot of improvements to employment conditions and things that happened as a result of that. Yeah, but equally, sometimes it goes the other way, and suddenly you've got a uh, you know trade unions deciding they get to bring down the government or something like that, and you sort of think, well, okay, then so. That seems a bit outside the scope of uh, whatever it was that that you yeah. know, in terms of that balance of power <laughs> with employers. But so, but there is a kind of right level of that, I feel, and it's not right for employees or contractors to be powerless. Nor is it. It seems right for it to be the other way around. It, it there's a there's a right yeah. balance, isn't there? And I don't know what that is necessarily, but certainly if we leave capitalism to itself i always remember a funny story that it wasn't a real story it was just i don't know maybe it's meant to be an allegory or something but the story of somebody gardening in their front garden on a sunday morning and the vicar walks past on his way to church to do the service and he's a bit disapproving so he thought he thinks he's going to sort of have a few words with this chap so he says mm. isn't it wonderful what god has done in your garden you know and he said you should have seen what god did when i left him to his own devices Um, And I feel that that that, (laughs) I'm not sure about that story, but I kind of feel it's like capitalism in that capitalism can be a good thing that drives innovation and all of that kind of thing. But you should see what happens when you leave it untrammeled is that people get crushed in it. And so there needs to be this right balance of power. I think I probably belabored that point.
1: No, 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 no. Because it is about the ability to behave as you like towards your employees Uh, leads to these these sort of companies being complete jerks and funnily enough it's only the companies that are complete jerks that where you see these stories coming out and whereas companies who you know evidently like try and look after their staff and make the employment experience at least tolerable <laughs> you, see, you see very little desire to organize in this way i think it's not something that i've ever talked about at work really no. but i've tried to work at places where you know working conditions are, are good and i've actively campaigned when i've been in senior positions to make them better um, and make sure people are paid the right amount and they have engaging work that they can that they like and they're not just you know being told what to do and micromanaged and moved around without any any input so those t- those types of places um they seem to be doing okay whereas all the other types of places which like i say have taken that untravelled capitalism to heart and they're just like well Let's dispose of these workers. They are merely cogs in the machine. Mm. And that machine is turned off at the moment, so we can just get rid of them. I guess, in this regard, so the Raven QA contractors were dis- were disposed of, then they just asked all the perm people just to do more work. Oh, well, and yeah. It's like, right, okay. Um, you know. Yeah,
0: it's like like, an equation there, isn't there? There's a amount of work divided by number of people. Yeah. And you might be looking at a spreadsheet where you say if we reduce number of people, then it'll be cheaper. (laughs) But of (laughs) course, the other equation of how much work per person is to do is obviously seriously impacted, isn't it?
1: yeah, I'm just like, maybe if you put together a decent set of working conditions and a little bit of respect for those who work for you, who are in skilled positions. Mm. Games testers, they might not be treated as skilled sometimes, but it's still a set of skills that needs to be respected. I mean, we met some from Sony, I think, wasn't it, in Liverpool, Yeah, testing VR games. And they had the most interesting set of tools and techniques which were different to the classic e-commerce or back-end sort of testing, if you like, or mobile testing or, or whatever it is. A very different mindset set of tools and techniques, but also obviously some shared ground as well. I you know. They need, they were doing a a great job in a challenging environment, um, with new technologies and, t- and figuring out ways to test it effectively. And I was like, wow,
0: this is amazing. I mean, it was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? But I remember it was. Um, we were talking about how they test VR games and how and how you stop VR rigs from near to each other from not not interfering with each other. You don't want people crashing into each other <laughs> while they're working. <laughs> uh, but you've also, all this kind of stuff, I mean, back then it was how do you stop people feeling sick from the uh, effects of the VR headsets? How do you protect people from, some of the games are quite scary. Yeah. With VR, it's quite visceral, isn't it? It feels like you are the one being threatened, not some representation of you on the screen. It feels like it's you. Yeah. And you know all of those kinds of feelings, I mean, you know that, that have to be managed. I was astonished by the complexity of the, the work yeah. the work they were doing. I thought it was very, very interesting hearing what they had to say. And then I tried a scary VR game and lasted about two seconds. <laughs> oh yeah. I seem to remember cringing back <laughs> in my seat in terror as the scary zombie <laughs> person with the big knife came for me. <laughs> you were like, no, nope, no more. In fact, still mild PTSD from that. <laughs> but yeah. So
1: So you've got all the all those skills and all that all those examples of, of great work and testers still being treated at certain companies as totally disposable and anybody can switch into that role I mean to me some of it comes from the obsession with crunching Ooh, there's a whole topic so, as in you get to the end of the end of the game development process and you just have to work like ridiculous hours to you know fix at least some of the problems and then get it out for some arbitrary date which you know the marketing has said that you will be you will be out for. <laughs> and then after you've finally sent it to press to the disc, then you have to create some vast day one patch to fix all the things <laughs> that need to be fixed for the first day. I mean, I'd be amazed now if the, if the game that came on the disc actually works without the day one patch, I would be utterly amazed. <laughs> so a little story about The Crunch. So, a company called Bioware who do Dragon Age and Mass Effect, mm. those types of games, sort of big, sprawling narrative-based games. Um, they used to call the crunch magic time so they'd so basically they'd mess around for a few years with these games and then they would just rely on this last few months and call it magic time to try and bring it together <laughs> yeah, well so people who've worked there it was like it goes from like indolent chaos to absolute mania in the last few months to try and bring it together but they use this as like a as like a selling point this is magic time it's like you know, I suppose there are many different forms of magic. Some are more terrifying than the last. Well, who who does
0: a project plan where at the beginning you're saying right, in this last two months everyone's going to work eighty-hour weeks? You're just like, who plans that? I mean, that's just yeah. It's it's bad enough that that happens in many project plans, but to, but to plan it and give it a name, that seems a bit of a step too far, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Magic time.
1: You'll be amazed to know that. The last two major games that Bioware created, Anthem and Mass Effect Andromeda, widely held as not very good.
0: After Magic Time, as well.
1: Yeah, even with the power of Magic Time, <laughs> oh, it may, may actually be the power of Magic Time which has created these terrible experiences. Yeah. So, based on all these sort of you know multifaceted dysfunctions that appear in the game development industry. It was just really great to see Raven QA gathering together to try and take on the various forces kind of aligned against them, campaign for a bit of justice and some decent working conditions. And I don't think they were asking for too much just to be treated in a respectful way and you know show a sense of solidarity with their colleagues.
0: Yes. Well done, Raven QA. I think that's an excellent way to deal with that kind of corporate behavior so well done well done to you yeah i'm a bit worried that sounded sarcastic it wasn't supposed to
1: <laughs> it's very difficult for british people not to sound sarcastic when saying well done See, i did it then oh well done yeah, yeah. see i can't say it it's impossible I tried, isn't
0: it? I tried well done Ian. i was absolutely sincere in my congratulation of them for supporting their colleagues
1: yeah i think british people have to say Whenever you say well done, you then have to say that I'm actually being yeah, You have to, <laughs> I have to
0: explain with added sincerity. have to explain. So should we boycott games then? Should we just not play games from big gaming companies? That's a bit of a mischievous question, isn't it?
1: Well, no, because I do play games. From- <gasps> no! I do. I do. I play games made by Ubisoft. I don't play Call of Duty. I think it's a bit rubbish, <laughs> to be brutally honest. Uh, I don't really play multiplayer games, so because I'm just not that sociable. So, uh, but I think you could probably choose, right? Yeah. You could choose to play more independent games and support them that way. So, there are choices you can make. So, yes, it is a slightly mischievous question because we all like a nice AAA game every now and then. But I think there are alternatives. Although, you look at like the production values on indie games now, and you're like, wow, this is like uh, a very high, high quality production.
0: I spent a lot of time playing Stardew Valley, which was written by one person on his own. and He did all the graphics, all the music, all the plots and dialogues and all the characters and everything, just end-to-end on his own. This guy, oh, and he's, he goes by the moniker of Concerned Ape, oh, right, okay. which I always feel is more appropriate now. We've got Bored Ape NFTs flying around the world. I, th- I feel like yeah. Concerned is a much better state for an ape than, than Bored.
1: <laughs> on a final note... You mentioned NFTs. Oh, I'm afraid I did. So Sorry. As a, a final addendum, if you like, to, to my thing this uh, this time. Of course, yeah. NFTs are there in the middle of all this. Must they be? There's a bit of a pattern. So companies announced that they're going to start uh, you know, start using it and start doing NFTs and selling them. Then it turns out they have crappy cultures and that they're attracted to <laughs> grift. Um <laughs> So there was a company called uh, Team 17. You may remember them from a game called Worms. Oh my goodness. This has been around for a long time.
0: That was many years ago.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I always thought it was a bit crap when compared to Lemmings. I was always a Lemmings person myself. (laughs) Um, So I thought they were jumping on the bandwagon Mm. a little bit. So Team 17, they announced a bunch of NFTs. So they jumped on that bandwagon and then... Everybody complained about it, including people who worked for them, and then they had to walk it back. And then, after that, details of their awful culture appeared, oh. with testers struggling to buy food and working back-to-back overtime. Oh. So wherever there is unjust behavior and grift, NFTs appear to appear. That's shocking.
0: I find that an incredible correlation, which I find impossible to believe. That time I was being sarcastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That
0: was actual sarcasm. good
1: Britishness there. I'm not going to imply causation between NFTs and terrible behavior, but the correlation is becoming harder and harder to ignore. Yes. And that is my thing. Well done to Raven QA. Do you need to qualify that before we go on? Nope. That was... (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely meant that 100%. (laughs) I thought for a british person that was quite a good well done it was actually it was well done. but i felt you know mm. we, we
0: had just agreed that every time a british person says well done they <laughs> they have to explain that that was they really meant it that you know we should <laughs> we, we should, should stand by our <laughs> but by our belief that's true but you mm. know well done for that oh uh, and and i really meant that as well <laughs> or, or did i
1: it's impossible to no. stop. <laughs> oh, <did I?
0: laughs> oh dear! And that was when the whole podcast went off the rails. Um, <laughs> no, that's a fantastic thing, Ash, and it's really interesting. You know, I, I just think it reflects well on testers. So I'm not saying it. Don't say it. Let's just move on. But 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 well done, testers. Right, <laughs> sincerely well done. Oh dear, <laughs> it's a trap. It's a trap. I've got a thing.
1: Excellent. Let's hear about your thing.
0: My thing is about what I think we're now calling, I say we, uh, people in the world are now calling
1: personal knowledge
0: management, which I attempted to say in a heroic voice because it's one of those things that sounds (laughs) a bit heroic to me. I am very, very interested in productivity tools. It's a sort of substitute for productivity, but... uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) That could be another thing in itself.
0: (laughs) But um, there's one particular area of productivity, which I've always found interesting in the sense of seeing the different tools that people build in order to deal with it. And that's note-taking. Everyone's phone has got a note-taking app on it. Apple's one is Notes. I'm sure there's a Google equivalent. And there's a marketplace full of products to do with note-taking. So I use something called Bear, for example, Mm. which synchronizes between all my Apple devices and lets me write in Markdown, all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of these kind of things. Yeah. But I've come across something over the last six months or so, which I think is really interesting. And it started off in the 1950s or something in Germany. Oh, no, I've said a time frame, and now I'm going to have to check. But it started off a long time ago. (laughs) The thing... uh, that I want to talk about in note taking is something that's become referred to as Zettelkasten, which is a, a German word meaning slip box, which obviously completely right. completely explains it. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you played yeah, yeah, that out. Would have been uh, would have been very confusing <laughs> if I hadn't, hadn't explained that. But what what it's basically talking about is that. For years and years, I've taken notes in a kind of linear way. So you have a notebook or you have an app with a notebook in it. You go, for example, to a meeting or you attend a course or something and you make notes. And as the meetings and courses typically occur in a linear fashion, um, although some of them feel like it (laughs) it might be on an infinite loop when you (laughs) attend the same meeting two days in a row. But aside from those kind of time defying examples, generally speaking, we experience meetings and training courses and other things like that in a linear way. So day one, you arrive and you make notes about the things they talk about on day one. Mm -hmm. And then on day two, the same thing and so on. And what you get from that is that often training courses have a, a sort of drilling down approach. So you learn about something on the first day. And then you'll learn other things about that same thing during the second day, and then maybe in the third day. Sure. And what happens is that your notes about that particular concept may be spread throughout your note-taking system. So you've, you, your notebook, mm-hmm. if you want to find all of the times you thought about that, then you might be doing a search in a digital application. And some people write indexes in their notebooks so they can find things in them, but... That way of taking notes, which I think uh, is common to a lot of people, hmm. has this big flaw that it's quite hard to access, and particularly, um, and when you're looking at it, you know, even if you've got a digital solution and you can search in it, you're still there's still lots yeah. of fragments that you're trying to piece together. Yeah. So in this Zettelkasten approach, you basically have one note about one topic, and you can effectively what you do is that when you learn another thing about that you go to your note and you update it Mm -hmm. and then you have a cluster of all these notes that are on individual topics the example app of this that i keep coming back to and people who are interested in this keep coming back to is called obsidian okay and so what obsidian's kind of superpower is is that when you're writing notes at any time you can do a double open square bracket and type in the name of a concept and then close that and it will create somewhere Ah. a note about that thing so one thing that one thing i did was that i did a training course nine months ago or something six months ago on react which is a software development system for websites and i used obsidian to take my notes from this course and it was very interesting because there were certain concepts in it like, I don't know, for example, the way that you do forms, you have controlled forms and uncontrolled forms. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But I had a document, a single note about uncontrolled forms, and then everywhere that they were mentioned, I could refer back to that note. And everything I learned about that, I put in this, this one note. And what I have found is that now I'm trying to, I had this idea I would quickly build a website. <laughs> I won't go there, but.
1: Never happens.
0: I tried to quickly build a website slowly. And I found that the notes that I had taken from that React course, it was really, really easy to use them because I would be able to yeah. quite easily from the very top levels of the, the the sort of tree be able to say, Oh, okay, if I search for forms, I can find, all oh, right, controlled forms, and I can go and look in that topic and find everything I know about it all in one place. Yeah. And that that was really powerful. And so using Obsidian, I managed to take notes from that course that were actually useful when I'm trying to do the thing that the course was about. Mm. And that's quite unique to me. I've never had that experience before of finding notes that I've taken to be useful. Yeah. A bit harsh, isn't it? Yeah,
1: because like you say, usually you do it along a particular axis, don't you? Yeah. So usually it's time, isn't it? So you might use, you might do various training courses, build example apps, or, or whatever it is, using a particular technology, then you've made notes along the way each time, but they're very disparate. Yeah. So this kind of reminds me of what's my system. So it's not really a system as such. (laughs) So I also write in Markdown, I save it all into one folder indexed by, I usually use date. Mm -hmm. So date of the event that I'm going to or the training course that I've taken or, or whatever it is. And there's maybe five years worth of notes in there, but they are all sat, In their own sort of, (laughs) you know, pristine context-free bubbles. So there's no, there's very little like link between them apart from the date, which, but that, again, that relies on my memory to, to know, I mean, it might have the name of the course and the, and the event or whatever it was next to it, but again, it's not interlinked. So there's a ton of information in there probably about say, I don't know, uh, testability. Mm. There'll be loads about testability in there, but. How how easily sort of search how easy I can search through that and see the links between things. Well, I can't really. So it does make me think when you talk about this about my own you know my own personal knowledge management and mm. all the things that I've created and how not linked they are.
0: Yeah, I think this superpower that Obsidian has of being able to just create a link to another. Th- I mean, once you type in your double square brackets. it's doing this kind of active search. So as you start to type in the name of the concept, it will tell you Mm. the various ways in which that could be completed in terms of what exists already. And so making links is really, really easy. So even when I, if I'm maybe having a meeting with somebody and I'm referencing maybe something to do with React, I can have a a link. I can just easily create a link to some concept from there in my meeting note Mm. as a way of creating a sort of documented understanding of something that it's accessible later. I think it's absolutely incredibly powerful. And people have elaborate systems that they build on top of this. So, you know, you have this idea of a daily note and then you create your daily note, which is named after the date in a particular folder. Mm. And then you write notes in there about what happened in the day, but they link to the things, you know, notes that belong to that topic that you engage with during the day. And then you're getting into, uh, oh, well, well, now we can display the notes on a calendar obsidian is a kind of nerd's dream in the sense they've made it really really extendable and there are plugins to integrate it with for example i don't know to-do list managers like todoist you can make your to-do list appear in line with your daily notes and there's all these kinds of uh, kind of things that you can you can do that is you know is very very impressive i use something called readwise it takes the highlights that you do in your Kindle books and puts them into its website mm. so that you can access knowledge that you've gained from books. And there's a plugin for Obsidian that will just pull all those down. So in my Obsidian, I can find yeah. things that I've highlighted in Kindle books that I've been reading. And you can highlight Medium articles, all sorts of things in, uh, in Readwise. And that all just gets automatically added to my knowledge in obsidian hmm. so you can see how it gets more and more powerful because the more stuff it has in it the more you can find stuff the other nice thing it does sorry I'm, I'm going off on one now but the other nice thing it does is if you go to a note about a concept you can see every other note that mentions that and it divides it into two so there's mentions where you've created a link but there's also mentions where you have not created a link and it can therefore okay. mine concepts you, you can find out where you've talked about something, but you didn't realize that it was, mm. or you didn't create a link for that at the time. So it's a great package and I feel like it's very powerful, but there's a few drawbacks that always come to my mind with these things. One of them is that any complicated system for managing knowledge or work or anything like that breaks down as soon as you are so busy that you can't maintain it anymore. Yeah, um, And if these things aren't trusted systems, if you don't know that every time you've you always put the, the the work in there or the, if you know that it's there and you can trust it, that's different from where or maybe it wasn't there sometimes. Maybe I just hadn't got time to do it nicely so I just did it on a bit of paper and that bit of paper is somewhere on my desk. Yeah. Uh, and I find that systems like that, that's that's what is always the downfall of them for me is I, I run into that problem. And then the other problem that I was run into <laughs> is that Obsidian is an Electron <laughs> app. Ah. So in my head, I've got 15 years of being a Mac user, which tells me that when I hit command P, I, it's because I want to print something. But in Obsidian, that means I want to run a command that I have to type the name of.
1: After. <laughs>
0: yeah. And Electron apps are very resource-intensive. Basically, Electron is a way for developers to write apps that are multi-platform but only have to write them once.
1: Yeah. But.
0: And you can see the desire of developers to do that because it saves them duplicating all their efforts across iOS, Android, Windows, and Mac OS, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But the, the the cost of that is that you're basically shipping a Chrome browser. It's like, <laughs> I, so yes, they can be very slow, but the muscle memory that I have for using computers is based on 15 years of using a Mac. Yeah. And unfortunately, the random key assignments <laughs> in Obsidian, they're not random, they make a lot of sense to somebody but they make no sense to me. So yeah. I'm constantly fighting against it. <laughs> and then the iOS versions have other quirks as well. Some of the plugins don't work on, you know. So mm. it's a fantastic tool. I, I wrote on Reddit in response to someone talking about Bear, which I mentioned earlier. is a beautiful, beautiful Apple platform app. I wrote, I've also started using Obsidian over Bear, but it breaks my heart to do so. Obsidian looks horrible, and using it is a constant battle against muscle memory from years of using Mac and iOS apps, but the sheer power of it is undeniable and compelling. And I think that's that's the thing. That concept, that way of of saving information is amazing, but just it's just so difficult.
1: Yeah. Now I can see that sometimes, again, sort of thinking about my own system, sometimes, yes, it does break down, and I will have some notes or some documents or whatever it was to, to be saved along with a particular piece of, you know, alongside a a date and a piece of work that I'm doing and I'll have to go and fill that in afterwards or, and then sometimes by its nature, it's incomplete. So I guess Obsidian or whatever the app is, you, it still sounds like you, you need the, the discipline yeah. in order to, to maintain the system. Right. totally So it might make it a little bit easier and smarter, like say, with the tagging, because with the original system, what was it called in German? Slipknot? No, not Slipknot, that's a band. <laughs> Zettelkasten. Yeah. Slipbox. 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 With that system, say, if you were, I don't know, trying to, if you created, say, a folder per concept, and then you were moving notes sort of into there, that's probably more discipline than I have yeah, to, certainly to, to maintain that sort of yeah, system. I'm the same. So I like the idea of it, but like I say, that kind of system is more more disciplined than I have for things like that. So my simpler date and uh, event slash training course, whatever it is, system tends to work with me, but at the cost of, I know where everything is, but I don't know what links it has to each other. I just other. wonder, um, actually,
0: if just adding very simple linking into most notes systems might not start to give them this kind of superpower data because actually... Um, it's just using wiki links, which is this idea of the two, square, the double square brackets, and some sort of completion. Yeah. Doesn't seem that hard if you're already working in a folder of files. And Obsidian is exactly that—a folder, yeah. a folder structure of Markdown files. In fact, if Obsidian exploded, you would still have all the Markdown files all still linked together. Yeah. So in that way, it's it's really good. Mm. It's saving it in an accessible way that's probably. If you just loaded your folder into Obsidian, you probably find you're quite a lot of the way there.
1: Yeah. So what about team knowledge management? Oh well that's a yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah.
0: I wonder if anyone has that. I mean Notion kind of does
1: that. Yeah. You
0: can create links in Notion in quite a strong way and Notion has this kind of shared thing. I mean, we use it for this, don't we?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's like the perennial problem that popped into my head when I first saw the certainly the phrase knowledge management, because you know, you've got like, obviously, it's one thing talking about the systems you have as as an individual. Yeah. But, you know, as a team, it's kind of interesting as well because teams create documentation and runbooks and things like that. And I was just wondering if you could have those. I suppose you can have those interlinked as well. But I guess it comes down to the same point of discipline and making sure you uh, apply the same treatment. <laughs> yes. And add the same links. Yeah. So I suppose it probably comes down to the same thing. And a lot of the tools are kind of variations of a very similar thing. They give you the ability to link to anything that you like and then the ability to add tags, labels, categories, whatever it is. Mm. So you absolutely can do these things, I guess. In my experience, I see that most teams, unfortunately, it's a slightly spotty implementation of such things. It's
0: like half of a Spotify implementation. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that's all right. <laughs> So what what else popped into my head? So as soon as as soon as Ian put this in notion, the first thing that popped into my head was the phrase "psychos and mind palaces," and I just imagined Ian Ian in his mind palace, yeah, which is also a set of markdown files, yeah, <laughs> it's
0: more of a mind shack, <laughs>
1: <laughs> mind shack, <laughs> mind dilapidated shack, yeah. So you know you see all these stories of very smart people like Sherlock Holmes having this incredible system within his head. To uh, go and access bits of information from the past, but I guess we're not all we're not we're not like that, are we? And hopefully, we're not like Hannibal Lecter. I think he had a mind palace as well, but you want to stay out of Hannibal Lecter's mind palace.
0: I'd be more worried if these were non-fictional characters. <laughs> if there were real examples of psych- psychos and mind palaces, I'd start to be uh, a bit worried. Maybe there are psychos with obsidian <laughs> databases.
1: Yeah, well, you know, if you're a psycho and you have a mind palace, please yeah, get in touch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not directly, just, you know, via Twitter (laughs) or something. Don't come to the window or anything. (laughs) That would be upsetting.
1: I don't know how to maintain systems like this, you know, like when when you're under pressure. Well, yeah. I don't know, as a a team, teams often add update your runbook or update the documentation into their definitions of done when they've finished a feature or or whatever it is. So I guess that's kind of one way. Um, But again, it's like when under pressure, I guess that might may or may not work.
0: I find the linked teams and team knowledge very, very interesting. And I find the boundary between the two as well very interesting where, you know, I find myself writing things in my personal note-taking environment and I suddenly think, well, actually, I should put this in Notion because somebody else actually will need to know this.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah, there's there's, there's a few sort of different dynamics there, there, it's like, how do you then get that When the personal knowledge management needs to transform into something a bit more uh, outward-looking, if you like. Yeah. Out of the mind palace, through Ian's dilapidated mind (laughs) shack. Um, Yes. And and into the world. So how do you, you know, again, but again, it it comes back to like a, a discipline question, doesn't it? And it doesn't take away the need to make decisions off your own back, does it, I guess, you know? On the Electron question as well. So I recently worked on an Electron app, which was absolutely awful. <laughs> but again, it was it was implemented because of a, a very sort of tight set of constraints in the environment it was going to be deployed to. And it was like, it was, I often find it a technology <laughs> of last resort.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, not all examples of it are that bad. Slack, for example, isn't, seems to be okay. But yeah
1: but there's definitely i i see more i see more examples of where it's been used as a last resort and it's and it's a, a mostly acceptable way to solve a problem um <laughs> rather than it's the ideal way we would like to solve this problem yes if you know what i mean so i'm not saying all examples are terrible i'm just saying that it's often used in terrible situations
0: yeah. there's uh quips that people are <laughs> saying on twitter and i wish i could find the original one but i'm looking at one now that i've just found uh dave ruse who i've just found by organic search but with the new m1 max you can now run two electron apps at once <laughs>
1: <laughs> yay
0: mm. Mm. telling that people are making those jokes but anyway yeah so that was my thing psychos and mind palaces thank you so much for that ash <laughs>
1: Uh, You know, it's always hard to name things well, isn't it? So uh, you can rely on me to come up with a uh, a pithy smooch. When you
0: see the title of this episode, you'll know whether we ended up on uh, personal knowledge management or psychos and mind palaces.
1: (laughs) I know what gets my vote.
0: That's the ultimate ultimate name of the thing (laughs) is what's in the episode title. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. So that was two things. That was two things.
1: So how do we get in touch, Ian? (laughs) How do we get in
0: touch? Oh, dear. Well, people can get in touch with us by joining our ever increasingly popular LinkedIn group.
1: Slow organic growth, I believe, is the, yes. yeah, the phrase,
0: with the emphasis on slow. <laughs> Unfortunately, I only have one LinkedIn account, so I've been unable to join it multiple times. <laughs> so, yeah, join our LinkedIn group, and we will continue to put our episodes on there, and maybe that can be a vehicle for us to have conversations about the episodes. So, you know, who knows? Sure. And we're also on Twitter, aren't we, Ash? We are. We are. What's What's our Twitter account called?
1: It's at What a lot of thing, just thing, just one thing. <laughs> just one thing and we have a website don't we we do dot com, and we're available on all podcasting applications that you can think of
0: i think that's a, a wise proviso because people seem to be coming out with them or thinking of them <laughs> at a rate that exceeds reasonable uh <laughs> reasonable apprehension yeah. by yeah. one person's brain so We are available on a lot of podcast platforms. And if you go to our website, there's a tab for subscribing, which will show you all of them. If, however, you discover that you are dedicated to a podcast platform (laughs) that we're not on, then tell us and we can apply to be on it.
1: (laughs) So I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening and goodbye.
0: Yes, thank you very much and goodbye.
1: Bye.